Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for speaking to us, for the opportunity to share together in this day, in this time together. We know that it is not by accident that each person is here, but it is by your divine design that we can gather together to share around your word. We pray for the anointing of your spirit upon each of us, that your spirit would take the words that are spoken and apply it to, to our own hearts and lives. Amen. This past Tuesday morning, I attended a pastor's breakfast and meeting at Lancaster Mennonite School. And as part of that meeting, which we have three times a year, we were updated, as the pastors were updated on what God is doing and how God is blessing and how God is working and the opportunity that students have to serve and to, to be involved in particularly what they were talking about, the, the Friday morning Bible study that, that has been increasing among the students or increasing attendance. And they also shared how the persons had the opportunity, students were being mentored by, by adults. And then as the meeting was going toward conclusion, we were invited to dialogue and discuss around our tables who mentored us in our lives as pastors. Who were the persons who came alongside of us? Who, who tapped us on the shoulder and suggested we do a particular, particular task or a particular person or a particular person that we could identify uh, encouraged us? Who was an encourager for each of us? In this passage this morning, Paul reminds us and reminds the Philippians that Jesus is our mentor, that we follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is important to have human mentors, but also it is important that we see Jesus Christ as our example, as the one we follow. The Apostle Paul was languishing in prison. But he was not downcast. He was not heartbroken. The Apostle Paul uses this as an opportunity to share the good news, to share the gospel. Paul was readily accepted that God had his hand in what was happening to him. He was gratified and rejoiced in being given the opportunity to to witness to the risen Christ. And Paul writes in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, and I want you to know, he writes to the Philippians as he sends this letter to them, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Everyone here knows that I am in chains because of Christ. He used this opportunity to point persons to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had a friend, Epaphroditus, who kept in contact with the apostle, with Paul, while Paul was incarcerated. And at one point, 
the Philippians had taken an offering for the apostle, and Epaphroditus then took this monetary gift and presented it to Paul while he was in prison. And I'm sure that Paul and Epaphroditus, these two good friends, had a wonderful conversation and time of sharing together as the apostle had an opportunity to hear what was going on at this church that the apostle Paul had planted. I'm sure it would have been a, just a delightful and, a, and a, an inspiring conversation for the apostle Paul to hear the greetings that Epaphroditus brought. They probably talked about the founding or the genesis of the church and the early days of the church. They probably recalled together Paul's visit to the town, to the town there in Philippi that was located on an important overland trade route there in the Middle East through Macedonia. And it was the first town of Greece to hear the good news of Christ on his second missionary journey. They reminisced about the businesswoman Lydia, the dealer in purple, who accepted Christ with her entire household. And they were, they were baptized, she and her entire household. And they recalled how Lydia persuaded Paul and Silas to use her as a businesswoman. She would have had a larger home than normal and a very spacious home. And to, she persuaded Paul and Silas to use that home, her home, for a base of operations for them as they were involved in planting the church there in Philippi. And so Paul and Silas were blessed by Lydia. They were blessed by Lydia, this woman of peace, as they used her home as their base of operations for their church planting work in the town of Philippi. They also would have recalled the story of Paul and Silas going to, down to the, to the riverbank where, and at the time that they met a slave girl. And this slave girl had the unusual ability to tell fortunes. And it was because she was demon-possessed that she had the opportunity to do that or the ability to do that, and, but she had to hand over the money to her masters as a slave. Now, when the demon was cast out of her, that Paul did, when the demon was passed out, was cast out of her, she could no longer earn money for her masters, and they were quite angry and upset about that. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, and in the uproar and the mob spirit, and you can read about this in the book of Acts, in the mob spirit that followed, they put Paul and Silas into prison. And they were singing then the hymns of the church. It's recorded. Luke records that they were singing praises to God. And while they were doing that, an earthquake came. But what might they have been singing? They were singing the hymns 
that were penned probably here in Philippians 2, 6 to 11 is a hymn, an early hymn of the church that Paul records for the Philippians. Or they may have been singing the other one that Paul recorded in his letter to the Colossians in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. And we'll read that hymn referring to Christ. And it's on the screen. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. By means of Christ's blood on the cross. And then, while they were singing these hymns, a powerful earthquake took place. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. The warden of the prison, the jailer, was ready to commit suicide. And they assured him that they were, that they were still there, they were still under his control. So in the middle of the night, he also accepts Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the jailer then invites the prisoners, invites Paul and Silas into his house. He washes carefully their wounds. And not only that, he goes the extra mile. And as their guest, as his guest, he prepares a meal for them in the middle of the night. Isn't that a great and marvelous and wonderful beginning for a church to have these persons come to Christ, first Lydia and then the jailer. But in his conversation with the Apostle Paul, in his conversation, Epaphroditus would have been sad to share that not all was well with this 11-year-old congregation. The church was founded in A.D. 49, and this, when Epaphroditus visited, would have been about A.D. 60. And the Philippians were living for themselves. They were not looking out. They were not looking out for the common good of the congregation. They were thinking only of themselves. 
according to Philippians 4.2, there were two women leaders in the church who could not get along. Now, we will never know what the nature of their conflict or their, their misunderstanding was. We don't have that kind of information. But we know that it was serious enough that the Apostle Paul, in his letter, identifies them by name. And he calls out Yodia and Syntyche and calls them fellow laborers. So they were leaders. They were disciples and leaders in the church. And he calls them by name and says, under the Lordship of Christ, they need to settle their disagreement. But each woman would have been insisting on her own way. And this, of course, had its ripples then into the church. And Epaphroditus also told Paul that the church was experiencing intense pressure to worship and to conform to the Roman Empire. So they were experiencing turmoil, some tensions on the inside, and then also they were experiencing pressure to worship and conform to the Roman Empire. Pastor and New Testament scholar, Jacob Elias, who had taught for many years at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, writes, and I quote, Roman citizens and officials tried to persuade believers to join in giving homage to the emperor. And in both Philippi and Rome, witness to Jesus as Savior and Lord had come in direct conflict with this imperial gospel that promoted Caesar as Savior and Lord, end quote. Jesus, our mentor and our example, was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Even death on the cross. Jesus did not insist on his own way. Now, Paul challenges the Philippians to think not only of themselves, but also to think of others. And he confronts them to be united and to be pulling in the same direction. His instruction in 2.4, let each of you look not to your own interests, not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. But alas, by our human nature, who are we tempted to look first to? We're tempted to first consider ourselves and to be focused on ourselves and what we want and what we desire. Les Parrott is a professor of clinical psychology, and he writes of the time that he and his wife, Leslie, so it's Les and his wife is Leslie, and the time that they were in an upscale restaurant. No, really, go ahead, order whatever you want. I told Leslie. They were perusing the menu when she said something about the grilled tuna looked pretty good. I hope you're not serious, I thought. That dish is the most expensive on the menu. 
I did not want to come off miserly in uh, such a nice place, but I also didn't want to break the bank on a single meal. And I was panicky. So, he writes, in the meekest tone I could manage, I asked, are you sure you wouldn't like one of the pasta dishes? Sure, the pasta primavera looks pretty good too, she said, without revealing a twinge of disappointment. I could relax again. It looked like I wasn't going to need to fork out just too much money. It was about that time, however, that the waiter arrived. Can I, can I start you off with something to drink, he asked. Just water for me, I blurted out, hoping Leslie would catch the clue. You know, Leslie told the server, I think I'll have an iced tea. What? I exclaimed when the waiter was out of earshot. Do you know how much that is going to cost? I thought you said to order whatever I wanted, she replied innocently. I did say that. The problem was that I did not mean it at all. I wanted her to order the cheapest thing that she could find. And once my selfish desires were exposed, I wanted to crawl under the table. End of quote. So we struggle with selfishness. We struggle with selfishness in our homes, in our marriage, in our relationships, in our, in our families. We also struggle with self in the congregation, in our churches. And we're tempted to say, I don't care what others want. I want my kind. I want my kind of songs sung in my church. And we're tempted to say, I want what I want in a worship service. And if I can't get it here, then I'll go somewhere else. The kind of music that we sing, the kind of music that we share together here at East Petersburg has been a bone of contention, a source of contention, we might say, for the last number of years. And we're tempted to focus on our needs, on our wants. And our culture expects us to concentrate on our desires and on what we want instead of what others desire. And Paul is saying exactly the opposite. He's saying for us to focus first on the interests of others before ourselves. Persons in different generation or in a different person with a different personality type may desire very different songs from ourselves. And it's so easy to myopically and individualistically Focus on what I want, what we want. And then to complain when we are not receiving what we want. And to complain about our worship and songs. While forgetting what is best for the common good of the congregation. So we can say, similar 
to the church in Philippi, congregations today, like what the Philippians experienced, experience misunderstandings and conflicts. The leaders who were involved in the conflict at Philippi were instructed by the apostle to settle their conflict because they belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were both, Yodi and Syntyche, were both in the church. They were both under the lordship of Christ. That was for the common good. And the Apostle Paul insisted that they needed to work it out. So too, in our day, conflicts are a natural part of life. But we also need to work through them and work them out. To be pulling in the same direction under the Lordship of Christ. And then as a reminder to this church... Paul recorded this this hymn. He wrote down this hymn that the early church would have sung. And the hymn, notice, it does not mention uh, Jesus growing up in, in Nazareth. It does not mention about his birth. The hymn is focused more on what Christ has done. And in John 1, 1, the word, the word, word, refers to Jesus. And John 1, 1 says, in the beginning the Word, in other words, Jesus, already existed. Jesus, the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1, 3, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus came in the form of a servant, a slave. In verse 7, instead he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Now, in this past Monday, the pastoral team had the privilege and the opportunity to go to the seminary uh, in Myerstown and hear a, a seminary teacher, Dr. Ben Witherington III, lead a seminar. And he suggested that in Christ coming to earth, that Christ gave up the omnis, like being omnipresent and omniscient and, and omnipotent, that Jesus gave those up as part of what he needed to give up in becoming a human being. That Christ emptied of himself of these as he walked this earth. I want to think and reflect some more on that as he, as, as he shared about that. And Jesus became one of us. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of humanity. And Bible scholars refer to this when he emptied himself in verse 7 as the kenosis passage, which is the Greek word that means to empty, that Christ emptied himself of the divine glory, and took on the form of humanity. He came as a human being, as an ordinary man. He was made in every way like you and I are, except he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15, the writer says, this high priest of ours 
understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Christ accepted the weak human nature, but he was without sin. He didn't come to earth as a king with power and authority and glory and splendor. He came as a human being subject to the will of God. Now, yes, his teaching was different. He taught as one with authority, but he didn't have that kind of kingly splendor. He will take that up later. One day, he will be recognized as King of kings and Lord of lords and come as King of kings and Lord of lords as this hymn proclaims later in this passage. In verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He gave himself completely to the will of God. So he was obedient to death, and not just any death, because God, Jesus, had done no wrong. This was a death on the cross, a death that was reserved for common criminals and slaves and lawbreakers. The Gentiles reserved this form of death for those persons. So Jesus was obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then Paul says, we are to have this same attitude that Christ had. In verses 4 and 5, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So we can say, Christianity is the way of the cross. It's not a way of position. It's not a way of power and not a way of prestige in society. The purpose of Christianity, this is not the purpose of Christianity. The purpose of Christianity is to share the good news of Christ. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus, our Lord and the one whom we follow, gave up his own rights and instead took on the form of humanity to become one of us. And we are called to flesh out in our lives to follow Jesus as our example and to follow this Jesus who rode on a donkey and not a stallion like the rulers would have ridden. Not on a stallion symbolizing power and royalty. There were four travelers who were on a meeting or at a conference in the Philippines. And they were talking too long And so they were late at arriving at the local airport. And grabbing their bags from the taxi, they quickly ran into the terminal. And one of them, in his haste, knocked over a table on which a local girl had some some items for sale. And being late and not wanting to miss their flight, these four travelers ran on. They cleared security and arrived at the gate before it closed. And as these men hastened across the tarmac toward their waiting plane, 
One of them stopped, and he said farewell to his colleagues, and he returned to the terminal. And he was certainly glad that he did, because when he got back to the table that was overturned by them, he discovered that the girl was not only was not uh, was unable to see that she was blind, and she was nine years old. And some of the jars that she was selling were broken, and so he helped her as best as he could. And then he said to her, reaching into his wallet, and he pulled out fifty dollars. And he said, here's $50 to cover the cost of what is broken. And then, as he walked away, the nine-year-old girl called after him and said, Are you Jesus? Paul instructs the Philippians, and Paul instructs us today in 2014 to have this same attitude of Christ. Be willing to give up your own rights. Be willing to inconvenience yourself to assist others. Be willing to go through inconvenience, hardship, and suffering to minister to others. Follow this Jesus who was completely obedient to God. Notice it was only one of the four travelers who was willing to look out for the interests of others, for who was willing to look out for the interests of the little girl who was selling her wares and trying to eke out a meager existence. Only one of the men was willing to inconvenience himself to give mercy and caring and assistance to the young girl. Are you Jesus? The little girl asked. That's the question that others will ask about us as we follow the example of Jesus. That's the question that our friends That's the question that our acquaintances will ask about us as we look not only not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Are you Jesus? Jesus was obedient to death on the cross. Jesus was willing to give up his own glory and his rights as God to be put to death on the cross. Will you follow My sisters and brothers, will you follow this example of Jesus? Will you follow the example of Jesus and will you serve others even if it means that you are inconvenienced? Will you purpose in your heart to look out for the interests of others before a watching world will ask, are you Jesus? Amen. We'll share in a closing song.